Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. Today we are continuing our series in the New Testament book of Acts, and for our study today we will be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Let us turn to the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when that sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, huh, They are full of new wine. So let's just kind of break down this passage of Scripture. And we need to start first with Pentecost. What exactly is Pentecost? Uh, Penta is 50, and so what Pentecost is, is a feast or a festival that follows 50 days after the Passover. If you will remember, Jesus ascended 40 days after Passover into heaven, and then the apostles and others, numbering about 120 altogether, were in the upper room in Jerusalem, praying and, and worshiping God and just waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised them. Pentecost had its origins in the days of Moses. And in fact, uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10, it says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And verses 15 and 16, And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. So Pentecost is also known as the Feast of Weeks, which is when um, the first sheaves of the harvest were presented to the Lord. It was a great time of celebration, and and uh, it was a one of three uh, festivals that the uh, Jews were, were required to participate in. Uh, Passover would be another. 
And this was, so this was a, a time of celebration, 50 days after Passover. The third uh, feast that they were required to attend was the Feast of Tabernacles, which we will cover later. So if you might remember, Jesus was crucified on Passover, and now the church was born on Pentecost. As I said, these feasts were very important, are very important, and they were established by God, commanded to Moses and the Levites long ago. Uh, one commentator has this to say about it, that this was a symbolic timing the blessing they experienced at Pentecost when thousands of people believed and came into the church was only the first fruit of a much greater response that they were to see as that same gospel was preached in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and eventually to the far reaches of the world. In other words, the Feast of, of uh, Tabernacles, excuse me, the Feast of, Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks was a celebration of first fruit. It was a it was a visual um, explanation of what was going to take place spiritually later on, which is another reason why this was so important. The Christians that came uh, that were born that day, born again on that day, which we will cover in our next lesson were the first fruits of the church. And so it, the event that took place with the coming of the Holy Spirit coincided with what God had set in motion uh, uh, through the giving of the feast, the command to celebrate these feasts. In verse 2 it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, as we have been anticipating, this now is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. This is the first time when uh, we see the, the corporate infilling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says in uh, the book of Corinthians that, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it came with evidences as uh, proof uh, that this, this, this was taking place. And what the first evidence was it was a sound from heaven. It was a sound that filled the whole earth or whole house, and it was a sound that was heard by the multitudes that were in Jerusalem in that time for the festival. And this multitude came from all parts of the Roman Empire. And so these people, they were hearing this sound from heaven, and it was that that they came to investigate to find out what in the world is going on. The second evidence was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And in scripture, wind is often associated with the presence of God. 
Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind is a good analogy for the Spirit. It is not seen, though its effects are, and it, be, it can be found everywhere in a never-ending supply. The third evidence were tongues like fire. Uh, not necessarily fire, but it had the very appearance of that, resting upon each person's head in that room. In scripture, fire also represents the presence of God. You'll remember when Moses out in the backside of the wilderness and he saw a bush and the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. And as he approached the bush, suddenly God spoke out of the bush and gave him the calling to be the great deliverer of the nation of Israel lead them out of Egypt into the Promised Land. John MacArthur adds this comment, Just as the sound, like wind, was symbolic, these were not literal flames of fire, but supernatural indicators, like fire, that God had sent the Holy Spirit upon each believer. In Scripture, fire often denoted the Divine Presence, and God's use of a fire-like appearance here parallels what he did with the dove when Jesus was baptized. And so we see here evidences that were familiar to the Jewish community of the presence of God that would make it easy for them to make the connection about the supernatural work that is at place on that day. And finally, there was another uh, indicator of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that is that these people who were filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak with languages that were not their own. They were the languages of those who had gathered in Jerusalem. There was a long list of places that I read through, the Parthians and Medes, the Lamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, and so on. And what, what is it's being described here is people from all four corners of the Roman Empire, from the farthest outreaches, Jews that, had, that were dwelling outside of Israel would come in. The, these three festivals, every year they, they were required by the Mosaic Law to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals. And so they had come in to celebrate, but also it said uh, Jews, both Jews and proselytes, those who were Gentiles, but they believed that the God of Israel was a true and living God, and they they became uh, followers of Jehovah, and uh, they were also in Jerusalem for the festival. So here they are coming from all parts of the Roman Empire, which was vast. And they were hearing these people speaking to them about God in their own language. And they say, look, are not all those who speak Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear them each in our own language? You might wonder, well, what's the point of that? Galilee was in the north, and it was pretty common knowledge that most Galileans were pretty much uneducated. They knew the scriptures, but they, they were not ones who uh, had received uh, excellent education. That was reserved for people in, in Jerusalem, in the south, who were the, you know, the scribes and the, and the rabbis and the Pharisees, people who, who were of influence, who, who could study under the finest um, scholars and, and uh, the, the most excellent uh, rabbis. So for a Galilean, you know, we know that the disciples, most of them were fishermen, that they were common, they were poor men, they were hard, hard laborers, but they were not among the educated elite. So for them to be speaking in a language that was not their own, that was a miracle. But the coming of the Holy Spirit was a miracle. And everything that, that pertains to that is also a miracle. And we have here a day unlike any other day in history. This is a day when the church was born and nothing would ever be the same again. I love what it says in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And when I was reading that and meditating on that, it reminded me of that day when the when the baby is born. When you, when you have your baby, you've been anticipating the coming of that baby for nine months. You have longed for it. You have uh, expected it with joy. You became impatient toward the end of uh, that third trimester, and finally, finally. That day came when labor began and that baby was born. And in that, that new life, there was just fullness of joy. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, you see, the church was born. The church is known as the church of the firstborn. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, Scripture says this, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. He arose and lives forever. And we, the church, will one day also rise from the dead and live forever. And so the church, the church of the firstborn, 
but these are the firstborn of the firstborn. It's a wonderful thing that took place on that day. We need to understand and establish that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Holy Spirit is God. And Holy Spirit was sent to us by Jesus. If you will remember in John chapter 16, beginning with verse 5, Jesus said this, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Jesus said that it's to our advantage that he went away, because when he went away, he would send the Holy Spirit. And the coming of the Holy Spirit serves two things. First, it, it becomes the, the proof that Jesus ascended to heaven because he sent the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't until he would, he would ascend to heaven. Remember what he said? He said, um, if I depart, I will send him to you. But the second thing is, with the Holy Spirit, you see, God is with us. And with the Holy Spirit, there is power. There is help. There is comfort. There is instruction and counsel. Jesus said that, that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. He will remind us of the things that are taught in the scriptures. He will give us spiritual understanding into the spiritual word of God. He will empower us uh, with, with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He will give to us the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, which, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He will give to us spiritual gifts so that we might be empowered and equipped to serve God. To some, there are speaking gifts, gifts like the gift of evangelism, the, the gift of teaching, 
there are there are the service gifts like the gifts of help and the and the gifts of um, mercy and there are also the miraculous gifts the gift of healing the gift of discernment the gift of uh, even the gift of tongues which would be uh, a, a heavenly language speaking of the power and the and the gift the gift that came with the holy spirit i'd like to read for us ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 through 14 it's so rich and just it it just lays out the the measure of the grace uh, the scripture says this in in him jesus we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So with the Holy Spirit comes the promise, the guarantee of our inheritance. We are sealed. We are God's precious possession purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So what does all of this mean for us today? Well, first, this this was a promise that was kept. Jesus made a promise. In Luke 24, 49, he instructed his disciples, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. In John 14, verses 15 and 16, Jesus said this, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And so Jesus has kept his promise, and he sent the Holy Spirit. This was a gift of God. This was not an answer to prayer. Yes, they were praying for 10 days in the upper room, but they did not need to pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit because Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. So they were praying to prepare their hearts and their minds for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were praying and creating a bond of unity among the group. They were praying to to uh, um, 
seek counsel and guidance as they move forward. We, we studied that previously with regards to the issue of, of Judas and, and his replacement. Someone once said he, he, the Holy Spirit was not poured out in answer to any prayer of man, nor on account of any merit in man. He was, he was as the gift of Jesus, a gift of grace, which all received as from God. Even to this day, all who believe on Jesus Christ, who receive him as Lord and Savior, they are too sealed with the precious promise of the Holy Spirit. They too receive the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power and the, re and the great resources and the, the counsel and instruction and the reminders and that constant abiding presence. This is a gift of God. This, that day of Pentecost, was the brightest day that the world has ever seen since the fall. And this changed the world forever. Nothing was ever the same again. Even to this day, all things have been made new. But you will notice in our passage, in verse 13, in verse 12 it says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. And that's the way it always is. There are those who will believe, receive, or, or be willing to listen. And there will always be those who will mock and scorn and turn away. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded of Peter's instruction in his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, because Peter, like all the other apostles, received their share of mockings and scornings and persecutions, and all the apostles eventually experienced martyrdom. Peter says this to those faithful ones who are faithful to the witness. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of, G of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So let's just think about this for a moment. The day of Pentecost had fully come 
and with it came love, joy, peace. The tongues of fire and the language of nations, this was the evidence that the Holy Spirit had come and infilled the believers. Now men from Galilee who were unschooled, who shouldn't be able to speak in other languages, did. And that became a proof that this was more than the work of man. And while it was marvelous that these strange and miraculous things were happening, what was the most important thing was the message. In verse 11, it says, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. That's what they were talking about. And that's what the people heard. The disciples, followers of Christ, they were talking about the wonderful works of God. What would you say about the wonderful works of God? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The Psalms are filled with such declarations. For example, Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. In Psalm 63, verses 3 through 8, the psalmist says this, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. Psalm 63, 8. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Psalm 64, verse 10. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. Psalm 65, 4. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. Or maybe... You might be like Paul and exclaim with joy like he did in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father by Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, and in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Or maybe you might have a song 
like one that is popular today. I, 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 it's entitled Graves into Gardens by Brandon Lake. And I just love the way that the chorus just, uh, just exalts in God. It, it, it says, you turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. Therefore, I think it's fair to say that we can say with confidence, along with Isaiah the prophet, that God will give to us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that we might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that the Holy Spirit has tabernacled in our hearts today. Thank you for the power. Thank you for the gifts. Thank you for the helps, the comfort, the counsel, even the rebukes, Lord. We need it all if we are to follow you faithfully. So, Father, I just pray that you would refresh your people with a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit today, even at this moment. May they be filled with the joy of your salvation. May they be strengthened in their inner being. May they receive that word, that good word from your Bible that will give them the strength to carry on until that day when we see our Lord and Savior face to face. Thank you. For all that you are doing, we bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, my friend, until next time, may God richly bless you as you continue to draw near to him.